Hello, fellow nerds. Check out our network site, nerdsloth.com. You can also connect with us on social media like the Facebook, the Twitter, and the Instagram. If you like what you hear, look for Nerdsloth on Patreon and consider donating to help us continue delivering quality shows straight to your ears. If you'd like to help the shows out for free, head over to iTunes and write a heartfelt review. I mean it. Make me cry happy tears. But seriously, though, anything you can do really helps us out and we love you for it. I'm Johnny C, and you're listening to Adrian Has Issues. In 2016, a crack comic book creator unit was sent to prison for a crime they didn't commit. These men promptly escaped from a maximum security stockade to the New England underground. Today, still wanted by the government, they survive as comics professionals. If you have a problem and love independent comic books, if no one else can help and you can find them, maybe you can meet the Barnstormers. everybody welcome to adrian has issues technically this is the first recorded episode of 2017 that was not the first release this year but this is the first i've recorded in the new year and i can't think of a better way to start off i'm super excited to talk to today's guest he much like a lot of my guests i met back in october at a creator AfterCon, and he's a comic book writer based out of the new england area some of you may know his work from the comic book rapid city below zero and we're going to talk about that and it's something else that's pretty awesome but i don't want to spoil it i'd rather let him discuss it but please welcome josh Dahl. josh how's it going man it's going great it's great to be here adrian thank you Likewise. Um, and I don't know if you don't mind telling me a story, because like I said, I met you back in October. I had a lot of fun chatting with you. And I'll be it briefly, because, you know, after con, there's a lot of people, so we're kind of bouncing around. Yep. But I remember you had sent me a message a while ago, basically that just said, get me on your show. And I just thought it was the greatest <laughs> approach to it, because, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, hey, you know, you have a podcast I love to be on. And, you know, sometimes it's a while before you hear back from them. But basically, just that direct approach of, I want to be on... Let's make this happen. I have to respect that. I love that. <laughs> it, well, uh, thank you. Thank you. I, I mean, I kind of know we're all sort of moving in the same circles. You know, none of us are big time pros at this, but we all kind of pretend the other are. When you're talking <laughs> to us comic creators, you treat us like, you know, important creators when really we're just guys with day jobs and say, you know, same thing back at you. So it's like, while we're doing this, I'm the creator and you're the journalist and we're, you know professionals and great at what we do but exactly on the other side it's like we're also just a couple of dudes doing something and i feel like people sometimes get intimidated when talking to other creators and other professionals and i think what's really helped and why i love meeting people especially through like after con and some other years is that when you really get down to it whether you're working at like a major publisher or you're working on an ash can out of your house it's that you're still professionals and you're still people and i think once you get that understood and you know basically deal with and respect those people as such everything else is kind of a little bit easier to do Uh, that's weird you kind of pointed at a thing i never really thought of before i bet the favorite thing of the guys who are the rock star professionals 
is to be treated just like a regular guy. And the favorite thing of the guy who's just a regular guy is to be treated like a rock star professional. <laughs> That's great. So before we even get into the other stuff, I want to know your story first. So I figured that's probably the best way to start All right. because you've pretty much been in comics for quite some time and I got a chance to read some of Rapid City, which is great. So I guess it's kind of a loaded question, but where does your journey into creating comics start? Where does it start? Okay, I can picture it perfectly clearly on my childhood twin bed, trundle bed, in Troy, Michigan. I think there was like a Chewbacca sticker on the bedpost. And I remember drawing a several-page story about the kid down the street's older brother had let me know that Dungeons and Dragons exists. <laughs> and I got really excited about that. And I drew a story about a ninja teaming up with a thief and they rescued each other or something. That was the first comic I made. That was the first time I made a story with pictures. To be that young, to pretty much realize like I would work in comics is something that is, I think, really incredible. It hasn't been always that like crystal clear, but it always seemed like the right idea. <laughs> yeah, and I feel like that came across very clearly. Like I said, I got to read a couple of issues of Rapid City. As I'm reading it, I'm like, this is clearly a writer's book. And what I mean by that is the pacing, the story elements, and like you clearly had developed these characters, and there's a particular love for these characters, even the really awful ones who are technically <laughs> not supposed to be the good guys, but at the same time, none of these characters are kind of good guys. But um, right, right. I guess what I should, we should do next is um, please let everybody know what the Rapid City series is about. Rapid City is about a fictional Rapid City. It's not actually based on any real Rapid City and it's set in a world where superheroing and supervillaining makes sense. Where putting on a costume and going out and doing that is a thing that would not be completely bizarre like it would be for now in our world. And then within that established idea, I use it to tell stories that I want to tell. Right. Story ideas occur to me within a superhero or supervillain metaphor and... That's where they are. The books you're talking about, Rapid City Below Zero, are my work with artist Sean Langley, who's fantastic. And that is a supervillain revenge drama. I didn't really read too much of the synopsis when I was first checking it out. And I realized, like, wait a minute, these are villains. And I was already hooked in because I was thinking about some other books like Superior Foes of Spider-Man and a few oh, other great. ones where I've come to realize, you know, in my 30 some odd years of living that. I'm kind of a bigger fan of supervillains, and I don't know what that says about me, but I'm thinking back as a kid. G.I. Joe, you know what, was cool, but I loved Cobra, <laughs> you know? And I yeah. I loved the Decepticons, and I was like, shoot, I always kind of rooted for the villains. <laughs> I mean, if you look at those cartoon franchises, at any of them, keep going down the list. Not my favorites, but He-Man, Thundercats, Mask, all of them, they had to work so hard to make the good guys come close to being as cool as the bad guys. Exactly. <laughs> there, I mean, each each one of those groups had one or two really cool good guys, but they had to make the bad guys bumbling and like clownish. And because if they just let Cobra be as cool as Cobra seems, I mean, which original like five years of GI Joe's, which member of GI Joe was cooler than Firefly? Well, I was always like a Destro guy, Destro and um. 
Absolutely. Cobra Commander. Oh, shoot. What's the guy who, um, shoot, actually looked like a cobra with the, the snake head? Serpentor. Serpentor, yeah. And yep. it's like, holy crap. I'm like, these, they always had the best weapons, the coolest names, and like the coolest vehicles. And, and maybe that was sort of done on purpose, but I realized that, you know what? The good guys were fun, but the bad guys had all the best stuff. And something that I love about villains, even in old cartoons or in comic books, is the fact that, much like in your story, if you took out heroes altogether and just made it a story about supervillains, you can still tell all the same stories because one thing bad guys hate to do is share the spotlight. Yeah. And if you took out all the villains, heroes wouldn't have anything to do. Exactly. If you took out all the heroes, villains would still have a lot to do. They're, on the, the truth is, uh, unless you're talking about like the authority or other you know, kind of social anarchist groups like that, villains are more proactive. Yeah. <laughs> they really are. So was that the idea then when you came up with Rapid City then? Not really. Um, <laughs> I, obviously, I've always loved bad guys. I I always try to kind of be devil's advocate. When I hear in the news about some horrible thing happening or find out about some horrible thing, I try always to think of how close can I get to understanding what that is. Okay. You know what I mean? I can't understand a murder rampage. But I can understand being really frustrated. Right. You know what I mean? I can understand wanting to lash out. You know, I can't understand then the moral and like the, the disconnect that lets you do that. But I can kind of I can see where that, where someone is coming from, you know, so it's sort of a mental exercise. Um, but I, I used to work with criminals, so I would kind of get used to the get used to sympathizing with them. And I had written a, a lot about superheroes and the superhero story I was working on, the original Rapid City story, um, Rapid City, Object of Rest. The, that story kind of came to an end and very naturally dovetailed with what should be the next story. I'll focus on the villains. Right. And then they just sort of came to life. Oh, so I didn't realize, you know, you worked with criminal justice, which now it kind of completely makes sense. And, and it's not that you necessarily sympathize, but, you know, you can't really work in that field without you know because my dad was a detective and i'm sure okay. you know to that degree it kind of worked the same way where you can't really do that job without having to have at least some even basic understanding of the criminal element and maybe at least some of their motivations you know obviously because i have this feeling that if you know, in order to fully understand that i guess part of that would have to exist in you but maybe in a matter of in order to beat it, you kind of have to sort of meet it halfway in some regard. Yes, absolutely. For me, I worked for 10 years as a teacher in the Boston, Massachusetts Department of Youth Services, which is, it's, you know, you describe, you call it juvie. It's where teenagers go when they get locked up. And my specific about 20 bed unit was kind of the end of the line. Okay. Any kid who could get scared straight, they, they would go, you know, if you... First time you come in, you go to this unit, and then you go to this unit, and you go to this one, this one, this one. Mine was the one you go to where you have decided at 16 years old that you're going to be a career criminal. Oh, wow. So you pretty much saw, like, the worst of the worst then. Yeah, but they were also kids who I worked with every single day. So I would kind of know what they had done to get in there, but I would also, you know, talk and joke with them Monday through Friday every single day. So... That's where that that sympathy comes from. That's I, I understand them as people and as criminals. 
a lot of people would probably see those kids as something of lost causes. You know, like I said, well, there's kids who have committed whatever the felony is, what have you. And that's something that you don't really hear a lot is, you know, these are still people with their own feelings, their own thoughts. And you never really understand exactly why it is that they do the things that they do, but they're still people. Right. And like the, the lost cause thing, I mean, there, we had some kids who I would get to know them pretty well as people and know it's going to take a miracle for this kid to last a month on the outside. Right. Yeah, you know, we just kind of had the holidays here. And not many other people in the system kind of understood this because everyone else in the system had a hopeful push point where it would be like, when this kid leaves, they're going back to high school. A lot of our kids, when they left, they would leave from our building straight to adult prison. Oh, wow. They would be sitting with us until their 18th birthday. And a lot of times we'd sit there and be like, you know, we could go real hard on this kid or this group of kids. I, I know this kid's going to have a hard life. I know this kid has had a hard life. I know things are going to go real bad for him. Even if things go real good, things are going to go real bad. So maybe we'll spend two days near Christmas just watching Elf. <laughs> and maybe we'll, you know, have a little bit of candy. And maybe this kid can have like a happy memory. Right. Working in that kind of environment pushes you to like both sides of the political spectrum where like, yeah, I can see if I was the person that this kid victimized, I'd say, no, don't give him candy, but I can't help it. You know, I, I whatever. So <laughs> that, that's where a lot of my criminal sympathy comes from. I never really thought about it that way. And, you know, it reminds you so much of like some of that growing up, because like I said, he worked in the juvenile department for a very long time. Oh, wow. And, yeah. Yeah. So you'd see in a lot of times I'd actually have to go, you know, see him at the precinct or whatever. And a lot of times you'd see the other room where like there'd be processing and you'd see kids that were pretty much my same age handcuffed to like this post. And I didn't realize just how much that was, how hard that was. Cause like, Oh man, you know, that could have been, that could have been me. Well, granted my parents would have beat my ass if it was, but <laughs> at the same time though, that could have easily been any of us. Those people that did those horrible things, they're genetically the same as you and I. There's no, they're not monsters. They're not werewolves. They're not creatures. There's no difference but environment. And I don't know, maybe some brain chemistry. But when brain chemistry accounts for psycho cannibals here and there, when a large group of people is doing something, there's something pushing them that way. I don't know. That, those things freak me out. Yeah, and that's hard because, like I said, it's you know, there's definitely schools that thought about it, and I mean, I'm not, I'm still not even sure what I even think. But you know, granted, there are people who are far more intelligent than me that have written books on the subject, but <laughs> you know, it's 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 tough. And I think about a lot of reasons why maybe, like I said, my dad was a cop, and my, you know, my mom didn't mess around either. So I mean. Shoot, yeah. I definitely wasn't going to be out there doing that. But at the same time, thinking, okay, what are the things that kept me from going that route? And obviously, a lot of it was, you know, comic books. And, you know, being a huge dork, you realize there's no video games in, like, comic books on the corners. But, you know, there's things that, you know, I'm very fortunate to have been a part of that, you know, kept me out of trouble. Oh, without a doubt. I actually wonder then if there's a way that maybe like to bridge the gap between, you know, kids who maybe be in the system, but you know, as far as that in comic books or finding positive outlets where they could be involved in something that isn't necessarily going to lead them down a bad path. It's tough. A lot of the kids that I used to work with, we'd get them doing something and you could see they were total strangers to the emotional experience of pride. Just taking pride in something. 
like I'd, you'd see him make something and kind of like smile about it. And you tell him like, you did a good job. And they're kind of like, they don't know what that feels like. Could it be comics, something like that? Certainly for some of them. I had some kids just hook in on comics and want to do them, want to talk about them. Other kids couldn't be less interested. So I, I certainly, certainly believe in arts outreach as a way to help I mean, any community. Well, I know that got really heavy for a second. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, I went to dark there. But it's something that I often would think about, and especially, you know, hearing stories or whatever. But it's like, oh, man, I'm very fortunate that, you know, we at least grew up in ways that we didn't have to deal with certain things. And, you know, in our little bubbles, you know, like, yeah, things are fine. And, you know, we have our problems like anybody else with bills and finances. But knock on wood, you know, none of us have had to do any, like, hard time. (laughs) So kind of switching gears for a little bit then. With Rapid City, now, are you working on any other comics at the moment, or is that kind of like your flagship? Because I know you are working under the handle of uh, Monolith, correct? Yes. Right, so are you then working on expanding that line, or is the focus still on Rapid City at the moment? Monolith right now is pretty much Rapid City. They're sort of one and the same. If something came to be fully formed, I, you know, I, for me, Monolith is pretty much Rapid City. I, I'm working on another comic idea, to something to pitch around, sort of a uh, little bit of a horror story, which is something I've always been interested in, but never really committed to actually writing a complete horror comic. Yeah, that, that's actually one that I'm pretty excited about. What I really wanted to get into today is, and something I noticed you've been doing, and something that I know you've been working a lot with uh, Johnny C, you know, yes. really good guy friend of the show, and some of you who are listening might have heard him on the episode "Kill Your Darlings" with uh, Chris Lero. I've only been up to Massachusetts maybe twice, once on like a family vacation, and once I was actually up, I think it was like Northeast Comic Con, um, basically to come up to see um, a friend, couple of friends of mine who are in a band who performed the convention. And I didn't really, really take into account that, you know, I'm kind of used to the tri-state area, you know, New York, New Jersey, and I don't know, like, I don't, you know, I don't even count Connecticut as the tri-state anymore, (laughs) whatever. I'm sorry, Connecticut, I love you, but nah, never mind. But point being, what I noticed that you and Johnny, especially like I saw on social network, and I think is a great idea, is the the fact that you guys have really been working on bolstering a kind of like an indie comic scene in the New England area, which I think is, first off, really great. Thank you. To that effect, you had posted a video, this is going back... I can't remember if Johnny was in that too. Um, this was maybe a little bit before Christmas because I think we had actually talked about it briefly then. Okay. Is the idea of barnstorming. Yes. Barnstorming is usually applied to musicians when it comes to touring. Yep. And something I didn't really think of is how, like something that I thought was an interesting idea is to apply that same sort of ethic to comic books. So I don't know if you want to maybe discuss a little of that. It, it came Okay, so I love comics. I love people who make comics. I love the whole, it sounds a little bit elitist to say scene, but I love creative people doing creative things and people who love creative things getting in and loving those things. The kind of wall that I keep running into out here, for some reason, you know, different places, different cultures, whatever, everyone has kind of a very, you could picture it very clearly if you picture like a, a main fisherman and like the big sweater and hood and everything. And, and when you propose an idea, they go, <laughs> they kind of go, Oh, that idea sounds pretty good. And they close the door where it's like, nobody shuts you down. Nobody tells you no, but 
nobody opens their door and comes out and like gets in on it. So it's I'm over characterizing a little bit. I mean, people are enthusiastic. People love their things, but also everyone is kind of busy doing their own thing. There's not any one factor. I don't want to lay this on the doorstep of any, like, I don't want to say, like, the fans up here aren't interested, or, like, the creators are selfish, <laughs> or the pub publisher, whatever. It's just, for some reason, it's hard to build momentum up here. Even for kind of local comic stars, th there's not a lot of, like, groundswell hometown hero support. And I'm constantly trying to think of ways to stir that pot up. And one of the things that we came up with, it was actually probably at Northeast Comic-Con, talking to Bob Sally and Johnny C and a couple of our other kind of mover-shaker comic friends, people who get things done. You know, there's people who make comics, there's people who make comics and get things done. And the idea just sort of arrived at make a signing an experience. Make it something that people will get kind of excited about. Right. And the way that we came up to do that with was to barnstorm it, get a crew of comic creators and hit as many shops as possible in one day. I had done uh, a similar thing for last year's free comic book day where I set up at one shop on one side of town, did about three hours of signing there. And thankfully uh, it was right here in uh, one shop was in Somerville. One shop was in Cambridge right here outside of Boston. And each shop was only a few steps from a train station. Oh, nice. So that makes it much easier to travel back. <laughs> right. I bagged my stuff up, got on, boom, got off quick and easy. Even with minimal social media pushing out, that was a lot of fun. Just the kind of like bemused smile of like, wait, so you're just, you're leaving here. Yep. Going to the next shop. That made it pretty cool. That planted a bit of a seed. Then talking with Bob and Johnny it came together a little bit more and a little bit more. Should I announce it? Should I say the thing? Um, sure. On January 21st, Johnny C and I are doing the first Barnstormers tour up into New Hampshire. Nice. And it's going to be, we're going to start at, well, we're going to start much earlier because we got to get in the car and get ourselves fed and all that stuff. But we're going to Barnstorm up to Manchester, New Hampshire, then Concord, New Hampshire, then, oh no, I forget the name of the other town we're going to, but it's White Mountain Comics. So we're doing Double Midnight Comics in Manchester, Double Midnight Comics in Concord, and then White Mountain Comics in the White Mountains area. My girlfriend and I were talking about also is, you know, coming into the new year, we have already kind of established that indie comics are a thing and people are starting to build audiences. Yes. Very slowly, and a lot of it is from a lot of very kind of like punk rock kind of grassroots style work, you know, and that thing of a lot of people, I'm sure, would love to be a part of it, but they might not even know it's a thing. So, yes. you know, people on an indie level have to work twice as hard to get their stuff out there. But how do you do that? And, you know, it's tough, especially for like, you know, you and I, because this show, while it has a decent reach, you know, I'm not on necessarily like on this national level, so... What are ways that people can get excited? And, you know, right. we've all been to signings. And sign signings are a lot of fun. You get to meet the creator, get some stuff signed, maybe sketches at the artist, things like that. But, you know, I think about a lot of concerts I've been to, oh, okay. which is cool about the barnstorming. You know, you go to a show, and I'm like, yeah, a band will show up. Maybe they'll play for 40 minutes, and then they'll dip out and go to the next show. Yeah. But 
I always figure for that 40 minutes, hour, two hours, however long the band's there, you know, people are pretty much taking time out of their day. They could be home with their kids or families. This might be the one thing they do for a month, let alone a week. So for everybody who's there, whether it's five or 500, you basically have to make sure that those people are getting their money's worth. And like you said, make it an experience, make it something that they'll leave there going, holy shit, this is awesome. So it's cool because you basically show up at one stop, you know, yep. you turn things out there and, people, and you're saying, it's, oh, we're going to another shop. And then maybe those people will actually follow. We're hoping for that. We're trying to think of every single way we can turn up social media engagement. So obviously we're going to be doing Facebook Live on the way up there, in the car, getting our McMuffins or, you know, like <laughs> build it into a thing. Do it there. I want to have we want to build in. And this is our first time out. So we're still learning. But I want to build in rewards for people who check in from there. You know what I mean? You're on your Facebook, whatever, check in at Barnstormer Stop 1, right? Get it out there. Make it anything we can do to draw people in. I want to try to start timing it so based on our stops, we can go out and get breakfast and lunch with our fans or with people who even aren't even our fans. People are like, who are those two guys? I don't know. Let's go get lunch with them. (laughs) Because if we're coming into Manchester, if we're starting in Manchester at 10 a.m., then boom, let's start, let's get lunch or let's get breakfast in Manchester with whoever shows up early. Then after that, we're going to go to Concord. Oh my God, look at that. It's lunchtime. So at the Concord show, we get lunch with whoever's there. I'm in love with this idea, by the way. This is another sort of uh, thing I was in the very nascent stages of at Free Comic Book Day last year, which you'll know was the same day that Captain America Civil War came out. So everyone was tweeting Team Cap or Team Iron Man. So I had a contest at my table uh, if you took a picture of my book and tweeted the caption or added the the hashtag Team Icicle, because my main character is Icicle, I was gonna. I had already bought. I bought four tickets to uh, the movie that night, and I was gonna bring people with me, and it worked out so well. It was so much fun to just to meet this husband and wife who wanted to go see the movie, take them to the movie, you know, bought them popcorn. It was, I even went, uh, uh, I, I'm going to tell a little story about how creative I am. <laughs> so I had the tickets, but I was like, oh, this isn't quite enough. So the, the signing ended at like four or five and the movie wasn't until, I don't know, seven or whatever. Okay. So I ran to the Rite Aid pharmacy in my neighborhood and I was going to get uh, like little kid birthday cards with Captain America and Iron Man on them and use them at, you know, make that the gift. Okay. But this backwoods right aid was so ghetto and this is this is modern america where everything has captain america and iron man on it how far can you go in this country without finding captain america merchandise not very far these days no <laughs> the only applicable greeting cards i could find were from and keep in mind this was just this year this was free comic book day from the first G.I. Joe movie. <laughs> Not G.I. Joe Retaliation, G.I. Joe Rise of Cobra. <laughs> wow. So I bought two of those, and I went home, and with Sharpie markers, I colored one Duke in to look like Captain America, you know, colored in the... the and they had that uh, kind of reactive armor on, so it was easy to use the lines of the armor to create uh, uh, one Iron Man-colored character, one Captain America-colored... and. Th- it was nice. Gave him the cards. It was fun. Now your product is on it. And yeah, it's from like another greeting card, but now it's even more special. So, 
And right, anything like that, like I love engaging with an audience. I love meeting people. Like, anything like that, that's that's what's going to make those people a fan for life. Right. That's something that I dug about AfterCon. A lot of people that I met that night, it's it's hard only because there's so many hours in the day. So you try to check out as many people's stuff as you possibly can. I'll definitely remember chatting with them. And like I said, I remember, you know, at the end of the night, we were trying to do that group photo and like having like a hell of a time trying to figure out where everybody was going to (laughs) stand and stuff like that. And I think it's important. It's important for people to, and you know, some people have been more transparent than others and some people, you know, and not that that it's a bad thing if you don't, but some people are kind of willing to go the extra mile and be very personable, but letting people know more about you, I think, in turn informs them about your product because i think about a lot of people whom like a lot of bands i used to follow you know maybe were their albums always like the best or whatever maybe not but you're a young scrappy band so production is whatever but i'll always remember the the times i actually got to share a beer with one of them or you know maybe some of them were willing to chat while they were taking their gear down and stuff like that and i think that's important it makes a huge difference it really does it creates a sense of connection and ownership it's not just a comic it's not just a comic that i'm a fan of but it's like that's my comic that's one of my things and so those people then become invested in sharing that right right once you make that connection you start to go oh you oh you should check out rapid city that's really cool i've seen it happen i mean i'm i am a little bit mercenary about it i am a little bit strategic about that's my job I need to make those connections, but I also genuinely, sincerely love it. You have to. You're right. You you have to. If you don't enjoy that, you're either going to be transparently faking it and it's not going to work, or you're going to sit there waiting for people to walk up and buy your book. Well, guess what, Charlie? Nobody knows what your book is. You know, it's not on, it's not on the responsibility of somebody walking by my table to go, oh, hello, stranger. What is this item? I don't know what it is. (laughs) That's not their responsibility is to have fun that day. So it's my responsibility to make meeting me, finding out about my comic, part of that day's fun. When they look back on that day and they say, oh, there's that cool Optimus Prime costume. And remember, oh, we met that guy with that Rapid City comic. That was cool. Like, if that's part of their experience, then that is doing my job. And it's like, we may not necessarily be, you know, performers in a way of, let's say, music or kind of whatever, right. but you still have to, I mean, there is some performance, and I don't mean that, like, basically putting on a facade, but, you know, there's a thing that you kind of have to do to sort of make yourself available. And, you know, even like, let's say, like in the case of a podcast, you know, and, uh-huh. and it's hard because it's like, okay, there's still the editing, there's everything else, because, you know, there's, you don't really have a team of people, so you can, you do what you can, but... I just like the idea of also something that I think is cool is kind of filling a a niche or at least filling a niche or just filling a spot where there may not be one. You know, as you say to yourself that maybe you're not seeing that maybe in your area there's not this particular thing going on. It's like, okay, so if there isn't, again, seeing is kind of a hard word because it means has so many weird connotations. but, But if you don't see the scene that you're looking for, be proactive enough to create one. Yeah. And then the question is, how do you create a scene? I guess you're well on your way. You know, who knows? This could totally fail. This barnstorming thing could not work at all. It could, after three or four times we do it, nobody comes out. That could happen. 
we could get better and better at it and develop the skill and find that it's a skill that means nothing. But we will have learned something from it. The experience will be valuable. At, at some point, someone's going to go, hey, those are those guys that did that barnstorming or something like I don't know. I, I kind of believe in getting out there and doing it. You never know. You and I have both seen it comics from people that I never would have thought would have become big things or not even big things but just well-known things you know you see and I've seen a lot of tables where I've seen a guy who was kind of like or or girl or anybody who's in a basically their booth was like in a corner one year you know two years later they're on like the main floor yep and you never know who is going to and I think even Johnny has said this during that um that round table at Twins Pub it's like you know you never know who's gonna end up being the next whomever so it's like why not try it why not give it a shot why not give it your all to a be an awesome person but also boost up the next person so even if let's say for instance this doesn't become like a relevant success yeah hopefully the right people will pay attention and see the work that you're doing and you know you never know maybe someone might take the idea and apply it elsewhere but again like these yep. things have to start somewhere absolutely i, I was talking with a with a friend of mine about business practice in general, where I understand business is expensive and costs money and you got to do what works. Right. But also by doing what works, you're also at, in order to do what works, you have to also be doing what worked past tense. And if you're only doing what worked past tense, you are not doing what will work future tense you have to spend part of your energy on innovation if you're not spending part of your energy on innovation then that's like uh, a a species of animal that is not participating in genetic mutation so that when that ice age comes you know some of you are going to have fur and some of you aren't (laughs) and before that ice age that fur didn't seem very valuable did it but now that the you know the climate the climate has changed, those ones that have a little bit of fur, I don't know. I'm not a, I'm not a scientist. Don't hold me to that. But, <laughs> I mean, what if things flip two years from now, and somehow the skills of barnstorming become what it takes to make it in the indie comic industry? All of a sudden, we'll be ahead of the game. That could happen. Yeah. Things like that's how that's how change happens. I'm always willing to take some risk to just do like, if it's not actively hurting me and it could help my comic, sure. I'll do it. Whatever. Anything. The most like suicidal self-destructive thing I hear when I talk to people about crazy plans, because I have a lot of crazy plans (laughs) is they'll go like, Oh, okay. That's not really how we do it. Like, well, Nothing is how anyone does it until someone does it. <laughs> you know, if before the Wright brothers, someone said, hey, let's let's buy up a huge patch of ground, pave it, and lay just acres and acres and acres of flat concrete. Everyone would be like, well, what for? An airport. <laughs> it, would make, it would make no sense, but it would, I don't know, whatever. I'm sorry. Let's talk about comics. Results may vary. People may try different things. Yeah. They may not work. But there's that other side of it because, you know, writing comics and reading comics and drawing comics, they're great. But, you know, there's the other side that's tough for a lot of us because, yeah, I mean, unless you're one who maybe did a lot of major research on marketing, which, of course, more power to you. 
um, you know, it's hard because, you know, sometimes it's like there are things, like you said, the things that do work and have worked. But when you're trying something new, you, you never freaking know. Right, right. And like I said, if you're not trying something new, you are already assigning yourself to the grave. You have to be at least rolling one die and seeing what comes up. So, yeah, that, that's where that's where things like this barnstorming comes from, because what am I going to do? Not try it? Just say, no, I'll stick with my other thing. This is doing fine for me. <laughs> to me, that just doesn't make sense. Yeah, and that kind of takes me back to something that another uh, uh, former guest, Dan Cho, had said once about the importance of attendance, about showing up. Oh, yes. Hopefully, that is the case with this, where people do show up. But it, it sometimes it can be a slow crawl. I know you and I know Johnny and you guys. I, I feel like if there's anybody who could pull this off, it's the two of you. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like you're right. That's one of the things, like, when... Again, me and Bob and Johnny were talking about it at that Northeast show. It was kind of like, we all sort of recognized, like, the three of us, we've got pretty good hustle. If there's something that we can make happen, probably we're the ones that can make it happen. Yeah, I don't know. We'll see. I'm really excited about it. I really want it to work. I'm excited about actively doing something for comics. You know, instead of just... You know, book a table at a convention, get in the car, drive to the convention, set up the table, sell the comics, break down the table, go home. Like, that's someone else's game. That's the convention promoter is calling the shots there. I love that. I love using that tool. But I also want to do a thing where, like, I'm calling the shots, where I made the plan. Right. And, like, it's a thing that will succeed or fail based on, like, what I'm doing. I don't know. It's exciting. Great. And oh, oh, just to reiterate, just in case, um, so what were those uh, dates and locations again? Just so that way I figured, you know what, a little bit of repetition couldn't hurt. <laughs> Love repetition. Love repetition. That is on January 21st in New Hampshire, America. Double Midnight, Double Midnight, and White Mountain Comics. The first Double Midnight Manchester is going to be 10 a.m. to noon. Then at Double Midnight Concord, it's from one to three and then white mountain is five to seven follow us on facebook and twitter um i think it's all barnstormers now or at barnstormers now we'll post links i'm sure find us follow us on twitter follow us on facebook facebook is where we're going to be throwing up videos of the whole thing i just want to get people talking about it i want people to like Adrian, you got kind of excited about it. Want to talk about the Barnstormers thing? I want everyone to talk about the Barnstormers thing. What are they doing up there in New England? Why are they doing that? What's wrong with those guys? <laughs> oh man, I, I don't. Know. I feel like that's like the unofficial slogan. It's like, what's wrong with those guys? I don't know. Go to the, go to the signings and find out. <laughs> go find out. Yeah. That, yes. What's wrong with those guys? I'll take that. That's a great slogan. <laughs> Oh, man, that's great. I don't know. I just feel like it'd be a great time. And like I said, I, I wish I could be up there to uh, check that out. And who knows? Like I said, maybe you guys might find be able to do another location. We're absolutely planning on it. Where are you right now? Right now, I am in Long Island. I could barnstorm down there. Do you have some local shops you're friendly with? Yeah. Then that, I mean, we're halfway there. <laughs> Once we run a shakedown and knock off all the moving parts and make this a machine that runs, I want to keep doing this bigger and bigger and bigger. Right. Further and further and further. So that's not too far away in our future. Very cool. Very awesome. Before you go, it's something that I don't really get to ask my guests a lot of, and I feel like I should do it more, though. One thing about uh, other comic book creators is that 
you're always reading if you're not working. So um, I guess if you were to have a pull list right now, like, so what are other, what are some other titles you're reading right now? Oh boy, that's a tricky question, isn't it? Um, what did I just get? I just read a book called Slam about uh, roller derby, which I it's not within arm's reach of me right now. I can't tell you more about it. Not only did I forget who wrote and drew it, I forgot who published it. But it's a really cool book, and it shows motion really well. Where you, to some degree, you kind of have to understand the rules of roller derby, which I don't understand really well. So the things were happening I didn't quite get. But I also could kind of just get it by, it's almost a watching experience rather than a reading experience for parts of it. Right. That was slam. That was really cool. What did I also just read? Um, of course, Black Science is awesome. That's a good one. It's doing that thing that kind of long form comics do now where it's kind of wandering off the premise, but it's so masterfully told, in my opinion, that I don't mind it wandering off the premise a little bit. It's still really cool. And when <laughs> it comes back, I know it's going to be great. I didn't realize I was a fan of until um, Hickman. Because uh, I was reading some of his Marvel work, like um, Avengers and like New yeah. Avengers and stuff like that, and uh, East of well, um, East of West, where you know it'd go for these long stretches, and I'm saying to myself, "What in the hell is going on?" Yes. And then next, you know, when you, when the big payoff happens, you're like, "I'm a re- like I, I'm an idiot. Like, how did I not see that coming? Like, that's brilliant." <laughs> but it requires a lot of patience. That sometimes yeah. I know I don't even have, but it when it works, it works. Hickman is one of the best in the business and east of west always felt to me like uh hanging out with older kids (laughs) yeah or like oh or better yet like you were talking about going to rock shows and stuff like when you go to a punk rock show and you're just cool enough to hang around with like some of the cooler punk rock guys but you have no idea what they're talking about (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah Cause I I did that so many times. It's it's funny, but yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. It's like, but at the, you know, it's like they're not kicking you away, but right. yet, and you're like, I know this is cool. I know I enjoy it. Everybody's smiling, laughing. Like I know once I find out what they're talking about, I like it. That's how I feel reading East of West. Like I I feel like somebody smarter than me is. It's not talking down to me. But just, like, going a little too fast for me to keep up. And I'm just like, yeah, uh uh-huh. Oh, okay, cool, cool, cool. Go on. I'm not going to lie to you. A lot of times I'd go to shows. I kid you not. Like, well, a lot of it was just kind of doing write-ups or whatever for the bands. But I would actually just bring a notebook. And if I heard anything get name dropped, I would just jot it down and then Google it later. (laughs) That is so smart. Well, I mean, compare how smart that is to the person who is like, oh, yeah, I love them. I saw them last week. And have the person go, they broke up in 1985. <laughs> yeah, then at that point, it's like, um, oh, um, so yeah, uh, the drink specials here are great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, man, I really do miss going to shows. So go. Yeah, I know. I'm just lazy and more broke more often than not. But yeah, yeah, that's the hard part. You got and probably by this point, 2017 America. I'm guessing. I don't know from your point of view. Probably people are onto that whole podcast thing, and you probably it's probably harder to get uh, press passes than it used to be. The format, it's funny, for everybody that's doing it, there's still a lot of people who have no idea what a podcast is. And I think coming into the new year is that something that 
I personally am really trying to find new ways to kind of get people into it because thankfully, you know, we've built a pretty good rapport and, you know, guests aren't necessarily hard to come by, but it's pretty much finding that audience. You know what I mean? Like I said, going back to your thing, it's like, okay, the product's there, but finding your audience, finding the people and pretty much, you know, figuring out who is this for? What is it about? Like, who exactly do you want to reach? And I think that at least personally, once I come to understand that myself, everything else will kind of be gravy. I think you kind of mentioned it before about bringing people in where if people knew about it, they would like it. But there's so much stuff out there for people to like that no, like you don't have to be hungry for new stuff, right? Like back before the internet, people would just go to record stores and be like, this album looks cool. I like this cover art. I will buy it and take it home. People used to buy comics that way. Like you used to be, you used to be hungry to go out and get stuff. Now everyone you and I know actively resists stuff. I see new comics that look kind of cool and go, "Uh, if I buy that, it's just going to sit on my shelf and I'm not going to read it. That's what we're up against. So that's where we have to like step through and say, hi, I am Josh. This is what I am about. What are you about? Do you want my comic? I don't know. I, I mean, that that's how we need to get out there. No, you're, you're onto something. And, you know, it's funny, like, even let's say going to a convention. Yep. There are people that, you know, originally I would just walk past some people and say to myself, you know what? They're probably not going to be a threat and walk past them. And I'm like, why uh. did I just do that? Like, why am I... Why did I literally just assume that this person would not want to interact for some reason? And, you know, some people are interested. You you hand them a card. You discuss what you're about. Some people are like, okay, great. And, you know, then you move on. Hopefully they'll get back to you. Then some people are like really jazzed. And it's like they want to sign on like almost automatically. When I see people at conventions, when I do conventions, it's my, like I said before, it's my job to reach out to people. And I've talked to other creators who feel awkward doing like the high pressure I don't want to say high pressure sales, but the high pressure interaction. Yeah. And I'm my, my thinking is, and this is a little bit justification for what I'm doing, but it's, I think it's completely true where that person I'm talking to paid probably more than $20 to walk onto that show floor, looking to be entertained, looking for things that will hold their attention. And so if I don't at least attempt to get my comic book and myself to occupy their attention, I'm disrespecting them. And I'm disrespecting me. They came there to be entertained. It's my damn job to entertain them. And what's more, when I'm out there, like you said that that you mentioned that kind of, uh, it, it comes from maybe some kind of insecurity about going, oh, I don't know if this person would be interested. I don't know if this person will like it. You know what I mean? Right. Well, I've had other creators say like, oh, I don't like cosplayers. Cosplayers never buy comics. You know why they're not buying comics? Because you're not talking to them. Talk to them about your comics. I make it my business to approach everyone at a convention, but specifically people who look out of place at a convention and cosplayers. Like at a convention, to see middle-aged white guy in cargo pants and a hoodie, yeah, of course he's real comfortable at the show. You know what I mean? He's used to – he can stroll up to any table. Oh, what's this about? (laughs) But like – Sometimes I'll see, like, a teenager dressed really, like, even, like, goth teenagers look comfortable at a comic convention. Like, they, you can see them start to open up a little bit because they're around their people. But, like, uh, sometimes specifically if you see someone, like, some kid dressed very hip-hop, 
And at some convention, like, that starts to look a little weird. Not so much in New York. When I went to did, like, a, a special edition New York, it was, like, 50-50 hip-hop, nerd, indie, whatever. But, like, I found that when I reach out to those kids, they open up more than the other kids because a lot of people aren't reaching out to them. Exactly. Exactly. That kid who's there... I don't know what I don't know what hip hop kids listen to today. It's terrible. I don't like it. But that kid who comes in listening to whatever garbage trap music is on the radio is there to have fun, but all of a sudden he feels like the outsider. You know? So when someone's like, "Hey man, want to come talk look, talk about my book?" Yeah, of course I do. That's what I came here to do. Right. And you know, it's interesting because it's like, okay, you see these people at the conventions, they're already there, so you have the base understanding like they would not be there if they weren't at least mildly interested in this already. Yes. Kind of like this whole thing of, and I've been seeing it a lot on, you know, social network. Everybody's talking about, okay, how to attract new readers, new readers, new demographics. Yeah. They're already there. You know, they're and there. it's like they're, they're waiting for this moment where they're going to be there. It's like, no, they've always been there. But the problem is, yep. it's like if no one's speaking to them directly, how are you going to know? We, I guess, as a community, you know, so, you know, we're trying so hard to attract new people, but it's like they're there. But it's just that, like you said, we have to talk to them because then it's like they'll have no problem telling you what they're into. But the thing is, once they tell you what you're into, we can't just up and dismiss that and be like, all right, I'm not into that. It's like, no. Right. And if you can't do it yourself, maybe you can point them in the direction of somebody else. Uh, I want to do that so bad. That whole Macy's Gimbals thing. That whole, I don't have that, but this guy does. I try to do that at so many conventions. Where's like, I will try to sell my book to anyone, like I've been saying. You right. know, if somebody says they're into horror, I'll be like, well, my book isn't quite horror, but there's some darkness and violence. You might like this and this aspect of it. Or I'll, you know, make say, like, what aspects of horror do you like? Do you like the, you know, do you like ghosts? Do you like the, the terror of personal violence? Like, how can I relate to you? If somebody says, you know, I like cute animal stories. I got. I just got to go. I got nothing. If you want to try this, that's good. But if what you're looking for is cute animal stories, I do not have that. But my friend so and so does. Why don't you go to that table over there? Again, like I mentioned before, nobody resists this idea. Nobody says no. I don't want to do that. But everybody kind of goes, oh, oh, okay, that sounds okay. And then they settle back into their old routine. Like I was saying before, they go with the like what has worked in the past. Right. Sit at my table, sell my sell my comics. Sit at my table, sell my comics. Where you got to start trying this new thing. You got to break. You got to make it. Artist Alley is my issue. That's like my thing. It's like we're state. We're there's a huge group of us at any convention. We bring in so much money to that convention, but because we're unable to even at a very simple level work together. It's like we're there alone and we get screwed like we're alone. It shouldn't be that way. We should be we should all be helping each other, you know? Right. And that's that this is pretty much going into the new year something else Eileen and I have been talking about. It's something that I think that all of us, anyone who's listening, whether you're comic creator or not, is I think I, I can't remember who I, it might have actually been J. Jacob Barker, but the or you know, I can't remember who it was, but the idea of community versus industry. Oh, you know, I love comics as an industry, but at the same time, it's like, I think that, yeah, I mean, all of our books are different. We have different personality types, but we're kind of on the same side here. Yes. And maybe if there's a way we could do that, and, you know, at the risk of being very kind of schmaltzy hands across the world about it, but maybe, you know, 
going into the next couple months, you know, we're going to definitely need to find ways to realize that, you know, and unfortunately there, there are some issues that come up and, you know, they will be addressed as they come along, but hopefully we will see more of people in comics realizing that, like I said, whether it be at conventions or signings, what have you, that, you know, we're kind of all in the same thing and hopefully that we can work together and just make some really awesome fucking comics <laughs> or even just talk about them. Yeah, community. It's tough, but it, it's it's also not tough. Just just do it. Just do it. Just offer to help other people and take help when other people offer it. And like, just start doing this. I mean, that's why I'm talking to you right now because I talked to Johnny and Johnny talked to other people and Johnny was like, "Adrian does this good podcast. Okay, let's get on it. Let's like do that." And there you go. And then this helps out in some way. Why not? Again, thanks to Johnny and everybody else, and thanks for, you know, AfterCon and other people in groups like that for doing this, because yeah, this this is great, and I love that this basically brings people together. My favorite thing about the AfterCon events I've been to is just the mixing and talking and the, the what do you do, the, the trading of business cards. I love talking to someone, getting their business card, and then, like, at the next convention, be like, oh, shit, you knew that book? Yeah. <laughs> I can't tell you how many times that's happened. I'm like, I never would have guessed. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. But, Josh, thanks so much, man. And I, I couldn't have thought of, a, like, a better way to start the new year with, like, some fresh ideas. And best of luck with the barnstorming thing. And uh, before you Thank go, you so much. please let everybody know where they could find more of you, your stuff on social networking or anything else you feel like plugging before we close out. Okay, um, there's one thing I feel like plugging before we close out. Um, I also do, I teach comics, I teach uh, classes in writing comics, and I do individual writing consultations through makebettercomics.com. If anybody's interested in making their own comics, if you're stuck on the outlining phase, the scripting phase, blah, 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 whatever it is, I have years of experience as a teacher and as a comic creator and editor. I can help you with the, your problem. That's at makebettercomics.com. Sign up there. Get in touch with me. I can help you out with that. Um, also, find me, Josh Dahl, or Rapid City Comic, or Below Zero Comic on Facebook and Twitter. You guys know how search engines work. I'm Josh Dahl, D-A-H-L. Uh, it's Rapid City Below Zero is the name of the comic. You can find it. I'm all over Twitter and Facebook. Um, Barnstormers is also on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Uh, I believe both, most of them are barnstormers now. But again, if you find me, if you find Rapid City, your listeners are savvy internet users. They can find it. <laughs> um, and look for a whole bunch of new awesome convention-style ideas. I'm going to be hitting the convention circuit this year. I'm doing Metacon for the first time out in Minneapolis. I'm doing the Great Philadelphia Comic Con. I'm going to be at C2E2, maybe Motor City Con, uh, maybe something down your way, Adrian. Who knows? I'll be out there. Hopefully, you'll be able to check out some of these shows. And again, thank you so much for taking the time out. I appreciate it so much. And thank you, anybody else, for listening. And obviously, like I said, well, this will be, what, 80 episodes or 81 now with yours uh, doing this. And awesome. thanks, everybody, who's been listening this long or if this is your first one. Check out Josh's stuff. Really good guy. And uh, that'll do it for this episode of Asian Has Issues. And we will see you next issue.
Thank you for listening to Adrian Has Issues. Please be sure to visit adrianhasissues.com to stream or download our other great episodes. Like us on Facebook at Adrian Has Issues, on Instagram at Adrian Has Issues Pod, and follow us on Twitter at Adrian Has Issues. You can also find us on iTunes, Stitcher, and on the Satchel Podcast app, available on iOS and Android. Adrian Has Issues is a proud member of the Nerd Sloth Network, home to such great podcasts as Nerds on Tap, Cinefreak Critique, and Saturday Morning Cartoon Boom. Visit them at nerdsloth.com.